was awesome. <laughs> Love it. Listening to heavy metal music can be dangerous for your health. <laughs> Let me explain. I don't remember exactly what album it was or what year it took place for reasons that you will understand shortly. But I do remember that it was the late 80s. And my mom had just brought me home from the, visiting the Ozark Christian College bookstore. I had been saving my mowing money and had come home with a brand new Christian heavy metal tape. And I bolted out of the car and I ran to my room and the whole time I'm like shredding the cellophane with my teeth. And I ran in there and I opened the cassette player and I jammed it in. I slammed it shut and I jammed play and it just was a wash in the music. And following the standard heavy metal album format of the time, the first song was, an arena, was a radio-friendly rocker, right? It's good, good for, for radio stuff. The second song was, a, a, you know, arena rock, um, fast, hard rock anthem. The, the third song was a power ballad, so we fast forward. And um, <laughs> then the fourth song was a blisteringly fast, aggressively driving, face-melting, headbang-inducing heavy metal song, and I could not help myself. Right there in my bedroom, to be a preteen kid, I start headbanging, and not just kind of nodding along to the music. I mean, full on, like, spit flying, hair moving from the waist, you know, just <laughs> going, just going for it, right? It was awesome. And, and, and by the second chorus, it was just getting bigger and louder and faster and more aggressive. And I reached over to turn it up. And I forgot where in my room I was. Because I was just caught up in the music. And I headbanged right into the dresser. <laughs> Bam! I didn't know little stars and birdies were part of heavy metal. But if you headbang hard enough, they sure are. I heard a crack. I'm not sure if it was my head or the dresser. I, and now you know why I don't remember exactly what album it was or when it happened. I, it rocked. Listening to heavy metal music can be dangerous to your health. But not occasionally listening to heavy metal music can be dangerous to your soul. We're going to explore that today. Open your Bibles to Psalm, or your Bible apps to Psalm 58. Psalm 58. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. If, if you're new here at Chapel Rock, you might be wondering what in the world these people are about. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you here in a second, but I'd love to meet you when we're done. Uh, I, I'll be down front. Please come down and say hi. For those of you joining us online, appreciate you logging in. Uh, grateful that you do that. If you would, when we're all done, just click up here in the upper right portion of your screen and fill out the online connection card. Let us know you're watching. If you're local to Indy or if you're here in town for something, an event or whatever, we'd love to have you visit us on site. We think, uh, think that's great. So we're we're grateful for that. Um, for the last couple weeks, especially if you're new and you're going, what in the world's going on around there? We've been in a, in a sermon series called Playlist, where we've looked at several different types of the Psalms in the Old Testament, and, and how when we learn to pray these Psalms back to God, it really helps us deal with life. We looked at how to handle life's hardships through the blues playlist as we looked at some of the lament Psalms. 
And then we talked about how the, the gospel is, is represented um, and how we can just deal with all of life's, the, the, the really great and the really bad stuff uh, in the messianic and royal songs. And then last week, Fred talked about how uh, the, the, the repentance psalms are kind of like a country playlist, like it's an acknowledgement, I messed up, you know. <laughs> he said, he goes, I don't know why Casey gave me this playlist. I'll tell you why. Because all week long leading up to these messages, I've been listening to that genre of music. And with country, just couldn't pull it off. So, um, <laughs> that's not really true. Um, okay, maybe a little. Uh, no, we were, we were in Joplin dropping Emma off at Ozark, so I'm grateful, Fred, for you, you covering that one. Thank you. Today we're looking at a genre of psalms that most of you, I have a feeling, tend to skip. You don't like these they're harsh. And we have a tendency to want to zip right past these passages in the Old Testament that talk about God's wrath, God's anger at sin, God's anger at injustice and wickedness. <laughs> and we want to get right to the happy stuff, right? I think there's a danger there. I think we need to go there. I, you, you all know this by, about me by now. I don't mind talking about the elephant in the room. It doesn't bother me. I, I think it's important to do this. The psalms we're going to look at today fall into a, a category called the imprecatory psalms. Let me, let me define that term because that's a new word for some of you. The word imprecate means to invoke or call down evil or curses on someone. All right? Th this is the opposite of blessing. You know, <laughs> when, 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 uh, when someone cuts off my little brother, Corey is a, a worship minister in Springfield, uh, L, uh, Springfield Missouri, and uh, sometimes someone will do something to bug him, and he'll go, nah, bless you. <laughs> the, the tone is this. What he says is, is happy, but what the tone is, is uh, you're calling down wrath and anger on somebody. The, the, today is really one of several psalms that fall into this category, Psalm 6, Psalm 35, Psalm 69, 83, 109, 137, uh, the one we read earlier, 140, has elements of that. Um, and sometimes there are psalms that, that kind of pick up on this, and then there are others that just, it's kind of the whole thing. Uh, the one we're going to look at today, really, just, it's, it's the whole thing. And it's not even the worst one <laughs> uh, in terms of, of these kind of violent militancy that's part of it. You see, these psalms are where the writer, usually David, calls down God's judgment on his enemies. David asks for God to mete out judgment on his enemies. He asks for God to give vengeance on his enemies because they've either attacked David as God's anointed or because their evil of their life is in direct opposition to the will of God. It's just like the psalm we read earlier where we said, why does this happen, God? Why do the wicked prosper? They're bad, God. Why are you letting this happen? Judge them. <laughs> punish them. Excuse me, punish them, God. When you read these psalms, they, they sound angry. There is a passionate militancy inherent in these psalms. And it just kind of reminds me of heavy metal. Now, for some of you, this is going to be like, you're okay with the blues and the gospel's great, and you love the country week, and now you're like, what? We're going to do what in church? It's a little uncomfortable. It reminds me of a cartoon I saw recently. I love this. Look at this. It says, after 50 years as the church organist, you had to admire Gladys's effort to embrace the new worship format. <laughs> She's standing there with a double Marshall stack, you know, her effects unit at her feet, and uh, Gibson, you know, uh, flying V guitar, right? That's, that's the thing. So some of you, this is a little bit uncomfortable. 
Let me give, give you a little background, and maybe that will help you understand it. Um, heavy metal, or often just simply called metal, is a genre of rock and roll that developed in the late 60s and early 70s, primarily in the United Kingdom. And in, in the urban blight and industrial wastelands that, that were, and the depression that came out of World War II, following World War II in England, the, 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 uh, mostly guys, it's, it's predominantly male, um, guys over there were just like, uh, they just had a sense of anger and, and disenfranchisement that was part of it. And so what they did is it began to express, and the rock and roll that they'd grown up with in the 60s and 70s that kind of came from, uh, you know, like the Beatles and some other rock bands, it just kind of got, as they got angrier, the music got harder and louder and faster. And, and then so you get like some of what you heard earlier with Crazy Train and Smoke on the Water and Iron Man, you know, uh, the, the, the melodies you heard, and it just got more and more aggressive. And, and these people who had been disenfranchised and, and hurt, they felt like they'd been hurt and aggrieved, adopted this standard dress code of blue jeans and a black t-shirt. It's just kind of the norm, you know? Now, a few of them went so far as to wear the Canadian tuxedo. Just blue jeans and a black shirt and a jean jacket. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't gonna go that far today, but, um, it was just this sense of this anger and this wrong rage that kind of comes out at, at the world. And it, it, they, they expressed it in their music. It has this thick, distorted, dual guitar sound. And there's almost kind of a battle that happens in the music. It, these the loud rhythm guitars, loud lead guitars, emphatic drum beats, just general aggressive loudness. In fact, in his book, Metalhead, psychologist Jeffrey Arnett refers to heavy metal concerts as, quote, the sensory equivalent of war. Now, those of you, apologies to those of you who are veterans, because you're like, what? I've been in a real war. Like, no. Um, he's a psychologist. Cut him some slack. Um, but it's loud. I mean, last year for her birthday, all Emma wanted was to see Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And so we took her to their show. Uh, how many of you, some of you I know were there. Anybody go see TSO or have, have been before, you know? It's, I mean, it's just, it's awesome, man. There's fire blowing up and lasers and people are rising on platforms out of the ground. And it's just, it's, it's loud and it's aggressive and it's Christmas music, right? Um, <laughs> You know, so there, here, here's what happens. You know, you've got um, this, these aggressive uh, kind of drum beats. You know, it's, it's really, you know, there's this, you know, it, it, it's, it's fast. It, it goes, all right. And then, um, you know, there, there's kind of, the, you know, just this loud, raw. Yeah, right? Like, like that and then usually there's some kind of like like a, a big arena feeling kind of right you know okay how many of you recognize the melody right a mighty fortress is our God. And that it is, it's just kind of this militant, angry, kind of like, I, I just I want God to go to war for me. Something has happened in my life and I'm angry about it and I want God to deal with it. This is a plea for God to go to war. I think we can learn something from that. 
So here's what I want to do. I'm going to do a little bit of an experiment. And John and Anna, this is different from first service, so just kind of roll with me here on this, okay? Um, what I want to do is just kind of explain this psalm. I want to show you the structure. I want to talk about what, some of what's happening in the verses. And then I'm, I'm only going to read it one time, all right? But I'm going to read it with a heavy metal instrumental backdrop. So music to go along with the reading. That's what we're going to do today. So I'm going to explain it first, and then we'll read it. It's kind of backwards, but just kind of go with me here, okay? Um, let me show you the structure of this psalm, all right? Th this is how it's laid out. It, this is really kind of fascinating. It's very common in psalms in the Old Testament. This is what's called a chiastic structure, okay? Key or, or is the Greek letter X, all right? And it's, it's, uh, it's that hard CH or X sound in our language. And a chiastic structure is, is set up where usually what's in the middle, what, let, uh, number C there, letter C, is, is the point of the whole thing. So it, what, what the psalm writer is doing, what David is doing in this psalm, is he's structuring it in such a way that the middle of it is really where the meat of the, the thing is. All right? So here's the outline. In verses 1 to 2, he talks about a, he's got a concern for justice. He's saying there's, there, something's unjust, God. And then in verse 3 through 5, he details the lies of the wicked and what they've done that's wrong. And then in verse 6 through 8, there's this prayer for justice. He's asking God to intervene and to work justice in this situation. Then verse 9, he says, I'm expecting you, God, to do this. You said you would, so I'm kind of putting you on the hook here. And then in verse 9, or verse 10, rather, he talked about the lies of the wicked, and now the parallel is the joy of the righteous. It's kind of an antithetical parallel. And then finally, at the very end, he says, before, he started by saying, God, I need justice. And at the end, he says, God, I know you'll do this. That's the structure of this psalm. That's how it's laid out. And so the center point of it is really this, this awareness that he wants God to bring justice into the situation, okay? So here, here's what I want to do. I'm just going to kind of talk down through this psalm before we read it, and it'll make sense when we go back through it, okay? There's a lot we don't know about this. Um, it, it starts, it, we know David wrote it. That's the subscript over it, right? It just says, to the, for the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, um, by the way, to the song, Do Not Destroy. I don't know, it sounds like heavy metal to me, right? That sounds like a heavy metal song. And it's a miktam. We don't know what that is either. But he, he, he begins off by talking about this concern for justice. Those justice and righteousness words are all kind of in the same family. They're all talking about the idea that there's this objective standard of right and that someone's not living up to that standard, i.e., who God is in his person, Okay. And then in verse 4, he begins to talk about the venom. He uses this snake analogy. It's very heavy metal, right? He, he starts talking about the venom of the wicked. It's their lies. And then it, the imprecations start in verse 6. First, he says, God, break the teeth in their mouths. Think about this. He's praying, God, punch their teeth out. Yeah. Can you pray that? We'll talk about it. You know? Now, ripped out of context, it sounds brutal, but when you take the snake context of verse 4 and 5, the psalmist is really asking God to nullify the power of his enemies. In verse 7, he wishes for their influence to decrease. He wishes for them to fail. In verse 8, David prays that God will dissolve his enemies. You'll see the image in a little bit. And it'd be as if they never lived. In verse 9, he's asking that his enemies be dealt with before the influence of their evil can be perceived. In other words, he's, saying, he's, he's not saying, God, just remove them from existence. He's saying, just make sure that they're ineffective. And you can pray that. You can pray that God, that I pray that the wicked would be um, ineffective, that their, their plans and schemes would fail. 
And then at the end of the psalm, David expresses his joy that the wicked are going to get what's coming to them in a pretty gruesome way. Honestly, he, he expresses it. There's a passionate militancy to this. So what I want to do is to read this text, and as we do, you're going to hear a backdrop of heavy metal. And I think it'll put it in the right mental context for you. Just instrumental music, okay? And we're going to read this. So look with me at Psalm 58, starting in verse 1. Ready? Okay, got it? Here we go. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No! In your heart you devise injustice, and your hands mete out violence on the earth. Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Sounds like heavy metal, right? Break the teeth in their mouths, O God! Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. Man, that's intense. Even without the music, that's intense. And some of you right now are going, but Casey, we follow Jesus. Jesus said, love your enemies. Can we pray that prayer? Is that okay? Is that like morally acceptable for us? I mean, we're supposed to love our enemies, right? Uh-huh. How can love for enemies and praying for those who persecute us coexist with this psalm? I mean, Jesus taught us very clearly in Luke 6, 27 through 29. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Notice in Matthew, he says, pray for those. Here he says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn to them the other also. How can we pray like David did and still follow the way of Jesus? It's a really good question. And it's one that was posed to W. Robert Godfrey at a conference. I love his answer. I don't think I can improve on it. Just listen to him answer that question. It seems to me there's a confusion on this uh, in, in part because um, uh, Jesus has told us to love our enemies, to, to, pr to pray for them. And what, what we're being reminded there is we are, we are not to call down imprecations on people for personal reasons uh, out of individual spite. We need to be careful about that. We need to be uh, um, very, very conscious of trying that part of what we're called to be as the light of the world is people who love our enemies. And, um, but, you know, Paul talks about how loving your enemies will further increase their punishment. Setting love of enemy radically over against judgment is not biblical. And so to use the, the imprecations of the Psalter to pray for judgment on God's enemies, 
I think is not illegitimate. Every time we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we're praying an imprecation on God's enemies. When Jesus comes again, there'll be judgment for God's enemies. Um, and um, so, we have to be careful with them. We have to be sensitive uh, with them. Uh, but it is legitimate to pray for the return of Christ and therefore to pray for final judgment. Now, I think when you read the Psalter carefully, what, what you find is not in every psalm, but in, in every section of the Psalter, um, there is first a recall to the ungodly to repent, and only then prayers for judgment on the ungodly. Our, our, our longing for Christ's return and final judgment is always preceded by our longing for the elect to be gathered, for the wicked to be converted. So, th it seems to me there's no absolute tension there. Um, and, and so, in, in light of the great glory of, of the final judgment to come, I think we can sing the imprecatory psalms. There is what Paul wrote in Romans 2, 6 through 8. Look at this. It says, God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Now, Paul's not saying you can earn your salvation by doing good. The whole rest of the book of Romans says the opposite. It says it only comes by, by grace, okay? But he was saying if you seek eternal life, you'll find it. And then he says in verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger that one day God is going to judge the wicked. And here's the point, okay? At their core, these imprecatory psalms are asking God to do sooner what he said he will do eventually. At their core, what these psalms are doing is asking God to do what he, he said he's already going to do. He's going to do this. When Jesus comes again, the righteous will rise to eternal life. The wicked will, will rise to eternal death. There will be a punishment on the wicked. It's going to happen. Which is why we need to be vigorous and rigorous in evangelism. People you know, this is the hard truth. This is the elephant in the room. People you know who are outside of a relationship with God will go to hell. And maybe God has put you in their life to tell them. That's reality. God is going to do that one day. And so when you pray, <laughs> Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, you're asking God to do sooner what he said he will do eventually. See, I think for too long the church has taught Christians that we should just be nice, that it's wrong to be angry ever for any reason. Don't ever be angry. That's a lie. That's a lie. You know how I know that? Because God gets angry. God can't sin. It's part of the job description. He, he can't. It's impossible. But the text repeatedly says that God is angry. And so the real question, the thing, David is a man after God's own heart. Clearly, he's ticked. Now, David wasn't always right. We talked about that last week. He messed up big time. But I think we can learn something from this. You see, the, the thing that transforms, us, transforms this for us is answering the following questions. First of all, why are you angry? And, and secondly, um, how are you processing it? Why are you angry and how are you processing it? Some of you came in here this morning angry that Andrew Luck retired from football. <laughs> Some of you might be happy about it, I don't know. Right? 
Is that a legitimate reason to call down curses from heaven on Andrew Luck? No. No. Okay? Regardless of how you feel about it, it's just not legitimate. You, you know, be frustrated, whatever, but no. But some of you came in here today angry because... Uh, do I go there? Sure. Um... Jeffrey Epstein, convicted child abuser, was somehow allowed to hang himself in his prison cell and not receive justice. It ticks me off. Why, why was it, how'd, that, how'd that happen? It's not right. Some of you came in here angry this morning because there are people in our country who are treated differently because of the color of their, of their skin. It's not right. Some of you came here in here this morning and you're angry because there are people in our, our country who are abused and taken advantage of simply because they don't have as much money as the neighbor down the street. Those are legitimate reasons to be upset. So we've got to answer the question, why are you mad and how are you processing it? And that's what these psalms help us do. These psalms, I believe, give us two ways to process our anger at injustice in a really healthy way. Here's the first thing that this gives us. First of all, you need to learn this. You get vengeance by requesting justice. You get vengeance by requesting justice. Okay? Earlier I said before that listening to heavy metal music can be dangerous to your health, but not listening to it can be dangerous for your soul. And some of you in here are so upset right now and, and, and you want vengeance. You want revenge. By a show of hands, and you people at home, watching at home, you can do this too, but just understand, I can't see back through the other way. So just trust that you're going to do it. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever been hurt or injured by someone so bad that you wanted revenge? Yeah. All my hands up too. See, when we talk about bringing our brokenness to Jesus, acknowledging the places in our life that don't look like him, this is what I'm talking about. Being willing to admit that and acknowledge it. Yeah. I have been hurt and I wanted revenge. The church plant we did in Montana, Deb and I had two friends, two different people, both stab us in the back. And like, I'm like, I don't want him to get hit by a truck or something, but like, you know, to drag toilet paper on his heel into an important business meeting. You know, something like that that just <laughs> embarrasses the guy. Because we all struggle with this feeling that the Germans call, they've got a great word for it, schadenfreude. It's a great word. It's a German word. It literally means harm joy. And it's the feeling that comes from learning. It's a feeling of pleasure or joy that, or self-satisfaction that comes from learning or witnessing the uh, troubles and failures and humiliation of another person. And there is one noble form of this feeling. And it's, when, it's often expressed in the Psalms when someone who's done wickedness, who's done bad things, finally gets what's coming to them. There's that sense of, yeah, all right, they deserve that, you know. Pretty much every other form of it <laughs> is just bad. It's not right. It's not what Jesus would do. And I'm not talking about, I'm not endorsing schadenfreude here, okay? We have to remember who wrote this psalm. This psalm was written by David. And if you'll think back to the story about David's life, two times, twice, David had the opportunity to take the life, to kill someone who tried to kill him. Remember? Saul once tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. He threw a spear at him when David was playing his guitar for him. What a jerk. He, threw a, he repeatedly tried to kill David. 
two times, once in a cave and once in a campsite, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, and he didn't do it. He said, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. To the, over the protests of his men. He said, I'm not going to go there because it's not up to me to get vengeance. I'm going to leave that up to God. And here's what I'm telling you today. The way you process your anger at injustice is you understand that you'll get vengeance by requesting justice. It's not up to you to go get revenge for yourself. You just request justice from God and you'll get that. And that's all you got to do. That's all you have to do. When you've been hurt, when you've been wounded by someone else, your prayer needs to become, God, work justice here in this situation. See, there's an interesting scene in the third Lord of the Rings movie, The Return of the King. The armies of the free people of Middle-earth are gathered for war, hopelessly outnumbered by all the bad guys, standing at the Black Gate, and Aragorn, son of Arathorn, rightful king of Gondor, comes up to the gate, and he says a line that's kind of a throwaway line in the movie if you're not paying attention. But it matters big time. He says, let the Lord of the black land come forth and let justice be done upon him. And if you're not paying attention, you'll be like, okay, whatever. No, that's big time. That matters. As a reader or a watcher, you know that the whole point of this epic fantasy tale has been to end the cruel tyranny of Sauron, the Dark Lord. There's no mercy, there's no forgiveness, there's no redemption for him. There's no path back to goodness. He's wholly evil and wicked. He's done death and destruction all over the land, killed thousands of elves and men and dwarves and hobbits and everything. There's no path back. And while they might want vengeance, what they're going to ask for is justice. They're going to ask for what's right. So what makes you angry? Is it selfishness? Is it spite? Like, we look, like the video talked about? Or are you angry at an injustice that's been done either to you or in the world? You've you got to parse that in your life. That's why the psalmist says, Fred mentioned last week, see if there's any wicked way in me. Search me, God. Know my heart. Is this, is this sinful anger or is this righteous anger? You can pray like this. It really is okay if your heart's in the right spot. Listen, we don't pray for evil people to be punished. And we certainly don't seek to achieve that end for ourselves. We pray for justice to be done. We pray for those who've been, a, a, who have oppressed others to be brought to justice. We pray for those who have abused others to be brought to justice. We pray for those who have taken, taken advantage of others to be brought to justice. If you, you get vengeance by requesting justice, don't focus on revenge. Focus on letting God do what's right because only he knows. That's one way you process this. Here's the other way. You process injury by releasing control. You process injury by releasing control. And this is really one of the most counterintuitive truths in the Christian faith. I mean, think about it. David is the king. He has more power than anyone else in his country. But he releases control of the situation to God. We who pray these psalms today are often taken aback by their violent militancy. And that may just reflect the sheltered Christian bubble that we've managed to put around ourselves. 
I think for too long, the church has, has tolerated us putting a Christian bubble around. We listen to Christian radio. We read Christian books. We watch Christian movies. We, <laughs> you know, we only hang out with Christian people. You know, we don't, spray, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> and I'm not saying you should go out and do all that stuff. But I'm just saying, like, when you put this Christian bubble around yourself and you read these passages that are real and raw and hard, you're like, ugh, I don't, ugh. And God is way bigger than your little bubble. These psalms shatter our illusions of safety. Now, some of you maybe have lived in the bubble and you read this and you go, ooh, I wanna, can we skip to the next one, please? And others of you have not been in the bubble. Maybe you're a new convert. Maybe your life has been one of abuse and, and, and destruction and, and you're coming out of this situation of pain and you're here this morning and you're, you're still kind of you know, stinging and you're wiping the stuff out of your eyes and you're like, oh, thank you, I needed that. These psalms shatter our illusions. They make us face life in the raw. They make us ask whether we really believe in a God who is both loving and sovereign. These psalms of vengeance are, are a passionate clinging to God when all of our experience goes, eh, maybe not. These teach us the way that we should process the injuries and the wickedness done against us to release control of that to God. You allow him to take up your cause. Listen, I want you to hear me. Praying for justice to be done and living a life of nonviolent love are not in conflict. They can coexist, and I know that because they coexisted in Jesus. He loved the dregs of society, knowing all the while that one day he would be their judge. These things can coexist, and church, we need to grow up and learn how to do this. Because releasing control of the situation to the Lord is the best way to process that injury. And God is good, and so he allowed me the privilege of walking my talk this week. Thursday morning, uh, I got a message on Facebook from someone I don't actually know, we're not friends, uh, but he sent me a message. Um, he offered an unsolicited critique of my uh, activity on social media and basically stated that my actions that way were to the detriment of my leadership here at Chapel Rock and in my home as a father. Not sure where and when he put the cameras in my house. I will freely confess that I could be better about that. I do schedule time for it. Um, I, I've just, I've found that, that that avenue, social media, is the Mars Hill Areopagus like in Acts 17 of our day. That's the marketplace of ideas. And, and I have had opportunities to do ministry over the last, I don't know, 12 years or however long that's been a thing that I never would have had otherwise. People will post stuff on Facebook that they will never come in my office and tell me, but they'll stick it out there for the whole world. And I can send them a message, hey, are you okay? I saw your thing, what's going on? I've had opportunities to do ministries. I've been able to connect with people. This past weekend, the same day I enrolled my oldest in college was my 25-year high school reunion. 
And I had, I, there's a guy in our class, he's a stand-up comic, he works in media, total pagan, and he said to me, and I quote, man, I really appreciate your Facebook stuff and how positive it is. There's an avenue, there's a way. <laughs> Maybe I'll be able to reach Mike one day. So this guy sends me this, this message, and I'm like, I, my, instantly, I was like, so mad. Like, you don't even know, dude. You attack me unjustly. You have no idea what you're talking about. I was hurt. I was angered. I felt like I'd been unjustly attacked. And God is good. And he wanted to remind me that besides the the number one rule of the internet, which is don't feed the trolls, um, (laughs) nothing would be advanced by a militant response. It wouldn't fix it. It, it wouldn't, it's not going to do anything. And so I just made a decision. I'm going to let God deal with this. I'm just going to let God deal with this. And maybe, just maybe, that guy is going to hear this sermon. I'm done. I'm, you know, I mess, point made, right? Because I wanted to fire off the, all the same stuff I just told you. So thanks for letting me get that off my chest. Um, but I'm going to let God deal with it. I'm just, I'm going to let him deal with that. And that's so minor in the grand scheme of offenses that get done against the people of God. There are brothers and sisters around the world today who met, many of them, in a a basement or a cave because if they meet publicly, they will die. Like, hashtag first world problems, right? If the Lord wants to correct that guy and show him that I've not been negligent as a leader here or in my home, the Lord will do that. He's going to fight for me, and he's going to fight for you too. It's okay to ask him to do that. It's the healthiest way I know to process the hurts and injuries done to us. It's okay every now and then to play that heavy metal playlist because it turns you into a happier and healthier follower of Jesus. You let God go to war for you. Let him worry about that stuff. See, our right and first response to injustice is to ask God to intervene. We've got to learn to express our anger and frustration over injustice to him. You need to let it out, lest it poison your ability to love your enemies. But be ready to become God's means of addressing the injustice. Did you hear the big idea today? Anger over an injustice and wickedness is okay when you give it to God and trust him to take vengeance. See, a major part of what I want you to take away from this is that once you have given it to God, once you have cleansed your heart of the anger by entrusting it to the only one who's truly righteous, then you be ready for him to use you to address the injustices in the world. It will rarely be in your own behalf. Usually he'll use you to address someone else's deal. But you be ready. Once you've given that over to him, and if it's sinful anger, you need to repent. If it's righteous anger, once you've entrusted that to him, say, God, you get vengeance, you control it, not me, I don't want it. I can't bear that burden. Then you be ready for him to use you to go help somebody else. I still occasionally headbang, mostly just to entertain my three little boys because they think it's hilarious. (laughs) I have learned um, not to do that anywhere near a dresser. (laughs) And that Playing this heavy metal playlist back to God allows me to be a healthier, 
happier follower of Jesus. What about you? Maybe you're here this morning and you're really dealing with some anger. You might not even know if it's justified righteous anger or is it sinful anger? You've got to parse that for yourself this morning. In just a little bit, we're going to sing and we're going to have a time of invitation. And, and maybe you just need some, some accountability. You need someone to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you as you wrestle with this. And, and so I would invite you as we sing to come down here and there'll be people ready to receive you and pray with you. Maybe you've been the victim of some injustice. And like, I don't even, am I right in being upset about this? I don't know. I feel like I should be, but, but maybe it's not that big of a deal. And, and I really would want to talk to someone. Under the yellow awning is our next step room. We'll have a leader in there. If you want to have them kind of be a filter for your experience, you can go in there and talk with them. Maybe you just have questions. might not have anything to do with what we talked about, but just want to chat with somebody. You can go there today. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and all the hurts of the past have come back to mind as we've done this, and you just want to be free of them. You just want them gone. The only way I know to tell you to do that is to just let them die in that water. Just, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've got so many hurts, so many injustices done against you, and the best way to let Jesus have them is to die. Die to yourself and be raised up again, to be born again as a, as a new believer in Jesus, to be baptized and have the Holy Spirit come in you and wash away your sin. And if you've never done that, then you're going to have an opportunity right now. We're going to stand and sing, and I want you to come to the front, people ready down here to receive you. I'm not, I'm not sure what you need to do today. Maybe you just have got some anger you need to let go of and just right there in the pew say, God, that's, okay, you got to take this. I don't know, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing, and you respond as God leads you today.